So we just did like a short 10 minute Instagram live. He didn't know who I was, but he was like, oh, there's this other Pizziolo in town. And so I was doing a pop-up, you know, I get them, you know, the reservation comes through and he's like, oh, I saw you with Alessio. I can't wait to try the pizza. What's happening? What's good, though? It's your boy, Idrif. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, in case you are wondering. Today we have an amazing episode on this happy New Year's Day. Oh yeah. Happy New Year, folks. Appreciate y'all being with me throughout this entire pandemic season. I'm happy to say that it's been a great year and I look forward to many, many more podcasts to come. Just this week, I bought my airline tickets to Pizza Expo. If all things go well, I will see many of you folks there. Make sure to support Pizza Today and check that out if you haven't done so already. This is not a paid ad. I just want to see all of your beautiful faces there. Today we have Scott. He is a Twitch pizza streamer, runs the 7th Street Pizzeria pop-up in Atlanta, and today we discuss alternative forms of marketing. I kind of got the idea for this title from Mike's last episode last week with Pizza in the Sack, so check that out if you haven't done so already. We talk about different ways to get people's attention. Not that we are in need of people's attention or crave people's attention, even though deep down inside, we all kind of need a little bit of attention and love. (laughs) Uh, But in reality, if we want people to try our pizza, we need their eyes first because what do we do? We all eat with our eyes and Scott's kind of found that niche. He has found a way to present his pizza to the world through Twitch. And we also talk about some other interesting topics, some random topics like automation that I just went off on a tangent with. But knowing Scott's background, I figured he'd be the person to talk to about that. It's a great episode. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. And remember to always ask, what's good dough? Oh yeah, and don't forget, please find me on Instagram, add me at what's good dough, and let me know what you think about the show. I'm also taking requests for guests to interview. And if you have questions that you want me to ask, um, I can go ahead and incorporate that into the show. And now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. And remember to always ask, what's good, Doe? Scott, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. First question, there's no right or wrong answer. What's good, Doe? Well, I thought about this one, and I think for me, good dough is something that brings a bit of nostalgia and kind of a feeling of a good memory, a good food memory in your life. Um, So for me particularly, good dough would be that wonderfully crispy, pillowy Detroit pizza crust. But uh, that's how I would describe good dough. Okay. Pillowy Detroit pizza crust. That's right. Why that? Well, I grew up in the Detroit area. So really for me, it was just the pizza that we grew up on. While there was multiple types of pizza um, in Detroit, 
it was the one that I always would gravitate towards. Um, and then even when some of the bigger um, chains were coming in and the pizza landscape started changing, um, I always found a lot of solace and just enjoyment in going for that Detroit style pizza. Are there any particular Detroit style pizza places that really has a soft spot for you? Buddy's is really the originator and probably the one I've been to the most. Uh, I've also been a very big fan of uh, Shields and Louis. And there's a lot of little places that are just peppered all around the landscape there. Um, they have a chain of party stores called Bouchamis. Um, and each party store, since their franchises are different. So one might have New York sized rounds where another one has like a lunch lady style grandma and yet another one does French breads. And so there's a lot of those different things going on as well that I always would really, really enjoy. And those you would see them in all sorts of party stores, which is uh, kind of just like a Michigan type term for like, you know, your corner shop where you might buy some like candies or cigarettes or beer or whatever. That's new to me. I've never even heard of that before. So it's pretty much like your local corner shop market that not only sells convenience items, but they sell pizza too. Yes, there's many of those. And that would be what uh, Bouchamis was basically like. Um, and they, as I said, because they were franchisees, everything would be a little bit different, but there was always one that I would go back to and it was the New York one. They'd have 20 inch New York style uh, pizzas and we, we would go there like at least twice a week. You clearly have a nostalgia factor for pizza. Like you grew up with it. Yes. What made you decide to, hey, I, I kind of want to make pizza um, and, and sell it? Um, well, pizza is something that I've always kind of been around. I had a couple pizza jobs growing up, uh, one in high school, one in college, and we would have to do creative things with the pizza then. And so I always liked being creative with pizza, but I also had this kind of other creative streak and that was in like audiovisual, um, doing like radio stuff in high school. And uh, I had a very short lived little podcast many, many years ago. And then now Twitch streaming. And uh, with Twitch streaming, it's like you kind of are always trying to find a niche. What are people going to watch? Right. And interestingly enough, pizza is what came to me. And so I decided I would just start making pizzas because I enjoyed that a lot more than not to say that I don't enjoy playing video games, but I didn't enjoy playing them in the live streaming sense. And so I would start doing more of these creative styles where I'd make pizza online and it kind of really has blossomed my love for pizza in many ways. Yeah. When I think of Twitch, I initially think of people playing games or there was a uh, a really large pod, uh, sorry concert earlier this year, and they used the Twitch platform. Um, I didn't realize that people actually cooked on there. That's a very common uh, thing that I hear. Yes, there's all sorts of content on Twitch. It's it's quite diverse. Um, there is music. There are people cooking. Uh, there are people that, you know, that do woodworking, steelworking, glass blowing, um, people tending animals, you know, like goat herding, all of that stuff exists on Twitch. And so, as I was saying before, you kind of have to carve out your own little niche. And when you're a gamer, 
I mean, maybe if you got a really interesting personality, you'll stand out, but you know, there's not as much of the content that's going to stand out. I was already in the pizza making. Um, I got a bread maker is a gift. God, I think like eight years or so ago now. And so we were using the bread maker to, to make pizza dough. And I bought Ken Forkish's book, uh, The Elements of Pizza. And that book was very transformative for me. And I think right around that time or maybe the year later is when all those episodes of the pizza show started airing on the Munchies channel. So those were things that really started to kind of boost my uh, interest in pizza making and giving me ideas and how to be creative with it. And I started learning about all the different styles that existed outside of Detroit. And we started incorporating all that into my own Twitch stream and uh, just making pizza on a weekly basis or a bi-weekly basis and just growing it from there. I've been doing that for about four years now. Um, and you know, it just it just keeps on going. And so you've been going for four years. Is there something about doing the live stream that appeals to you more than let's say creating YouTube videos? Yes. So with live streaming, I basically have my technical setup there. I press go, we do the stream, I press stop, the content is done. I don't have to sit down and edit the content after that for hours upon hours upon hours. And I don't really like video editing very much. I'm not great at it. So I found live streaming to be much better because you just you just create the content on the go. Of course, sometimes you make mistakes, but to be honest, sometimes that's what the people really, really like. My most viewed clip is the one where I accidentally dropped a pizza in the trash like literally pulled it out of the wood fired oven was getting ready to set it down on the counter and cut it and my peel slipped and it went straight in the trash and it was just it was gone i even tried to save it from the trash i don't know what i was thinking but it was a goner um but sometimes people are there for those moments you know maybe it's not it's not always the beautiful moments sometimes it's the uh the more disruptive moments they find enjoyable do people just watch whatever their interest is and is it similar to podcasting and youtube in that sense I think so. Yes, but it's much more interactive. Um, even though that YouTube has uh, interactive platforms, Instagram has their own Instagram live. It's very different. Uh, I've considered doing Instagram live stuff from time to time, but I don't like the 60 minute limit. And I don't like the fact that you're only using your one camera, whatever the whatever the device is, you know, like I have a multi cam set up with my stream. So we are operating four different cameras usually two of them visible on the screen at any time and we'll sw uh, swipe, excuse me, not swipe, swap between the scenes, um, depending on what we're doing, whether we're working in one area of the kitchen or the other, or even outside where the pizza oven is. Um, so, you know, you have to operate all that on the go and be your own producer, which I'll tell you, I'm much better pizza maker than a producer, but uh, you know, we, we make it work. Um, but yes, it is very interactive. There's a lot of ways to support the streamers and interact with the chat as things are going on. So I'd say it, if you were going to line them up, uh, I, I'd probably put like Instagram maybe in the middle, YouTube down at the bottom and Twitch probably at the top for like interactivity in terms of uh, the content creator and the viewer. I don't know if this is blood, but why do you do it? Why do you choose to to stream your pizza making? 
I really like to share uh, the creations with everybody and the pizza journey. And I guess some of it's kind of become a little educational. Um, I never planned for it to be that way, but um, some people will come and ask for opinions or, uh, you know, help with their dough or whatnot. And so, you know, I, I want to help people out. I want them to make better pizzas. So I try to give them as much knowledge as I can from things that I've picked up along the way. If I see a good pizza recipe, I definitely point people that way. Um, Cause a lot of people will approach me and they'll look for like, Hey, can I get a really quick, you know, pizza recipe? It's like minimal effort. And it's like, well, I can give you that, but you may not be super pleased with the final product. You know, if you're just willing to wait like 12 hours or maybe even 24, you know, then you'll be rewarded with so much better pizza. Have you, tried ken forkish's uh saturday pizza dough recipe it's like the the same day and compared it to the 24 to 48 hour one in the book now i haven't done the pizza recipe but i have done his uh I, the afternoon loaf which i think it's i think is very similar um with the one that's in flour water i always get the, the title messed up but it's like flour water salt yeast i'm not sure what order he has the words in I think I like the longer fermentation better. I mean, I've done some quick doughs where it's like six hours or so and had some good results with them. But ultimately, I like the, you know, a long fermentation and whether it's cold or room temperature fermentation, like at least 24 hours, you know, but I think for most of my dough, I go like 48 to 60. What do you do to judge your pizzas and, and, uh, and say, oh, this is the time that I like. This is the this is the flavor that I like. How did you get to that point? Usually, I can tell it in like the lightness in uh, the elasticity of the dough. So, for example, when I'm proofing in a pan, you'll really kind of start to see a lot of those bubbles form up. And once it starts to get like really, really bubbly, then you know you might be bordering on overproofed, especially when you're trying to pull the dough in the pan uh you risk starting to tear it and in pan pizza maybe that's not the worst thing you know um but those are the signs of hey i've let this go too long and we've definitely had some times uh in the summer months where you leave the dough out you know you think it's only you think you're going to be okay if you're leaving it on the counter for four hours but when it comes time to make the pizza you got some you got some problems so either it's a fail or you make the best of it but uh yeah what have you done in those in those situations where it was just too hot in the room and overproofed? Sure. Um, well, then it was pan pizza. If the holes were small, I usually resorted to what I would call the pepperoni bandage trick. And I would just stick a pepperoni right over the hole to like plug the hole and then put a bunch of cheese over that particular spot to seal it. And it usually works pretty well um but that doesn't really save you if it's not if if it's a regular pizza you know if we're talking regular rounds free form by you know you form it by hand that usually doesn't work and i've most of those times we've been met with failure you know i think one time i was doing sourdough and uh, i was thinking about this when you were talking to mike you know because he does a lot of sour well, i think he does exclusively sourdough but yeah, I have not managed to nail that down yet. Uh, the last time I tried to do a big batch of sourdough, it was a bad day. I think we were planning eight pizzas 
And by the time I was in the pizza two, I could tell the dough was already just gone and every base tore and we just, I couldn't even make calzones out of it. It was bad. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I just, I think to myself, I'm like shaking it on my peel and I see it's done and I'm like, do I even want to throw it in the oven? Because it just means cleanup. That's right. Right. Sometimes it's, it just makes more sense to just call it a day and throw it away and, you know, get it right or be better next time. Yeah, I agree. And I think that I've had those issues with sourdough more than a few times um, to where if it's pan pizza, you know, I can make, I feel like I can do a pretty decent sourdough pan. Um, and I love making sourdough bread, but something about trying to stretch a sourdough base, like I just haven't timed that quite right yet. So definitely on my list to try and tackle maybe 2021. We'll see. <laughs> you said you've been making pizza for four years. Uh, yeah, I've been doing it on Twitch for four years, probably maybe a few more years on top of that as a hobby, but yeah, very regularly. Um, for, for about four years now, yeah. Did you start off as a home cook or were you working somewhere prior to? Yeah, I I had a job for a regional pizza place up in uh, the Detroit area uh, when I was in college. Prior to that, I was working for a global chain in um, high school. And I didn't learn a lot when I was working at the global chain because all that dough came in like as frozen bricks. Um, so all we could do is just experiment with toppings. And so we did a lot of that. And since the thin dough, I think was the only dough that was made in house, we would play around with the thin dough and make these cracker crust like pocket pizzas. Um, so that was a lot of things that we would do. And I, I always think about that pizza. I have not tried to recreate that now that it's been so many years later. But the uh, the regional place I worked at, they actually made the dough in-house. It was a Detroit-style place, so that helped really kind of shape my knowledge for Detroit-style in terms of it's the way the dough is mixed, the management, the proofing in the pans, the dimpling of it. Or I guess some people press it. I kind of like to dimple it a little bit more like a focaccia, but both methodologies work just fine. Working at that regional pizzeria, was that kind of the, the shift in your want uh, to explore finer pizza, would you say? Um, no, I would say even back then I didn't have the interest in it. I think it would probably would have been a still a few more years to where I would have started to really think about like more of an artisanal or gourmet pizza. Um, probably like maybe eight years or so ago around the time I got the bread maker, spending a lot of time watching Food Network and whatnot and just being inspired by all the like the Food Network shows. Um, Twitch really didn't exist back then. Um, so I found Twitch in 2014, and but I still spent a lot of time in the gaming sphere before I decided to do my own creative things. But I would definitely say Food Network inspired me as well um, because I started getting into more foods and starting cooking for myself and trying um trying more types of international cuisines that i would have maybe not tried before in my youth out of curiosity what was the show on the food network that like really did it for you well the shows that i would watch was like i was a big fan of the food truck race that they had i think it was the great food truck race um and then we were also a big fan of um guys grocery games um, so 
not like they were like super inspiring in terms of like the pizza journey, but you would see people creating things. And um, oh, what's that other guy? Those uh, I think he's just the sandwich king or whatever. Um, I can't remember his name right now, but he he was one of their food star winners and he would make a lot of, you know, things that would inspire me because he basically kind of showed me, not directly, but he, his whole thing was you can make anything a sandwich, right? And I think you can almost apply that to pizza in a way because pizza can take on many different forms and many different things can go on a pizza. I think in one of my earlier podcasts, I had stated like, if you can use it as bread, I even go as far as if you can substitute, if you eat it with rice, uh, because I, I, th I just think it's just an amazing food to pair everything with. I don't know. I haven't really had a, a poor experience where I'm like, hmm, this wouldn't go good with pizza. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Well, I think that, as I said, I mean, you could do so many different ways with it. Like, um, we, we've done some interesting pizzas that have been good. Some have been fails. Um, like mixing sweet and savory things like, uh, I got one that I did where we did strawberries, uh, a homemade ricotta, torn mint and arugula, but then also some prosciutto on there too. So it's like sweet and savory at the same time. Um, and then, you know, we've had days where this is through the stream, but sometimes, you know, you hit a certain goal and you want to celebrate and you know, your community gets to pick the toppings for the pizza and they're not always the nicest with the toppings. And so one day we had to make a ghost pepper pizza and that wasn't a pleasant experience. <laughs> Tell me more about that. So uh, I think it was for one of my really early goals, um, you know, a couple of years ago before I learned that you don't do insane things for small goals. Um, <laughs> And uh, so we had to make a pizza. I just literally just cut up a couple ghost peppers. They were I was growing super hots that year, so they were homegrown ghost peppers. But you know, cut them up into little rings and put it on the pizza. Baked it off. Just just the, the act of baking it filled the kitchen with like almost like pepper spray. It was terrible. Oh my gosh. And then I think I got about a bite and a half into it. I was sweating. I do. I take my spice really well. I should at least put the context out there that I am a spice head and I love spicy things, but it was still pretty brutal. <laughs> but, you know, there's those, those folks in chat who, you know, they're, they're getting their kicks out of it. They, they love to see it. And um, we're always very supportive on the back end. So all in all, it's fun. What, what do you mean by goals? Is there like uh, something you try to achieve while streaming? Things like um, particular follower goals, or maybe we're doing a fundraising thing for uh, like particular equipment, um, whether it be technical or kitchen equipment, um, sometimes community, you know, of course, no one's under any obligation. And there are people out there that they like to contribute to the communities that they watch. Um, so sometimes you set up a goal for either you know, we're looking to hit a thousand followers by so-and-so date. And if we can do that, then I'll do a special stream and I'll make like five pizzas or I'll stream for six hours making pizzas. You're just, you know, some, something to kind of give back, you know, um, content wise, of course. It'd be amazing if I could ship everybody a miniature pizza, but just logistics kind of prevent that. Yeah, shipping sucks. I'm, I'm trying to figure out a way around that. Um... 
I actually am more leaning towards doing a kind of take and bake style pizza. Okay. And I'm thinking, how do I get around shipping? Um, because if you were to ship frozen or if you were to ship cold, even yeah, um, the, the packages get heavier. And so, yeah, I, I I totally get what you're saying about like the logistics of it all. Definitely. And that's one of the unfortunate things of, of the Twitch streaming is, you know, we get to make these delicious pizzas and no one gets to eat them except for me. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, it's bittersweet. You know, they love watching it, but they don't get to eat it. <laughs> Sucks for the viewers. <laughs> yeah. Not all of them, though. I mean, you did ask about the pop-ups earlier, and so I'll kind of segue. Uh, there are a few people who do watch who have joined our pop-ups, and so there are now a few people who do get to eat the pizza, but it's a very small number. It is growing. Was it just this year that you started selling pizza for yourself? Yes. In May is pretty much when uh, that all started. I, I had talked about it on and off in the past, but I never really... I took the initiative on it. My wife would say many times like, Hey, you know, if you're making all these pizzas, why don't you just like put a post on the next door um, app or whatever. And you know, you're always got all this extra pizza. So, but I never just never took the initiative to do it. Um, when uni did their uni day this year, which I believe is like somewhere around May 12th, um, they did a little campaign for uh, feeding. Well, they did campaigns in multiple countries, but in the States, it was for feeding America. And their whole thing was like, make some pizzas for your neighbors, do like a little socially distant pizza trade off. They donate some money to charity. You make a pizza for them. And, you know, it's a win win, right? That was kind of like the springboard that got our first pop-up going. So we did a, we did the charity pop-up. I think we raised just under 250, I think 220 some dollars uh, for um, Feeding America. And I did like 10 pizzas that day. Um, and that was kind of the start. I was already watching Miriam, uh, who you've had on as well, and her pizza journey. And she, I think at that time was kind of probably already like really into it, maybe one or two months into it. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going for this. And uh, so we started doing pop-ups here and there. And uh, I don't, wouldn't say I'm doing them on any regular schedule, but yeah, we've, we've been doing them. And so far the uh, response has been good. How has your response uh, been on next door? Like, do you get a lot of your, did you try it out? Is that what you use to kind of promote the uni day? Yes. Yeah. It, I think it worked all right. Uh, I mean, I, I did also promote with some friends and locals and I think like a couple coworkers who I knew would be sympathetic to like, you know, a charity thing. Um, so next door is okay. It's not wonderful, but I have continued to promote on next door because they're the people that, that are the most immediate to me. If I want to market to only the neighborhood that I'm in, I can do that. Um, so I do like that, but it's not, I, you're definitely screaming into a void of people with lost dogs and other people complaining about fireworks. Yeah. So it, it's not like, it's not ideal. <laughs> My wife just introduced the Nextdoor app to me just this, I mean, just last month, I think, because we moved into a new place mm, Okay. and I've been kind of 
thinking about, you know, promoting my pizza there, but I also don't want to stir the pot too much uh, because I, I live in an HOA where you technically can't run a business uh, in your, from your home. And so, yeah. but I think using the whole like, Oh, I'm going to donate some pizza to charity uh, of it all. will kind of, you know, wash the whole, like, Oh, this guy's selling pizza out of his house. <laughs> Definitely. I would say, obviously be, you know, be cautious and do your research, but I have used next door. We are in a very similar situation to what you just described. And the person who is the, the board on the board is supportive. So that's helpful, you know, um, your situation may not be the same, but you know, I guess that if your mileage may vary, I guess is what I should say. Um, but I would say, don't be afraid of it. I, I, I guess it depends on how they are, you know, cause you never know if you, if you approach them and let the kid out of the bag, if that's just going to shut it down immediately or, you know, it, it's definitely kind of a, uh, little tightrope that you have to walk. Proceed with caution, essentially, until that, until you get the board's approval. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. And then we uh, have also started doing uh, text uh, messaging to folks as well. So I find that to be much more um, effective versus the next door, because I can basically get right into people's pockets like in an instant and they're going to read that message like, I don't remember the statistics, but like, I think it's something like they're going to read it within three to five minutes. And, you know, like most of the, like, I think it's at least like, I'm going to mess the numbers up, but a lot of people click the links. So the, the metrics on those are very good from what I've read. Um, so I have people sign up to our pizza alert system is what we call it. And then a couple of days before a pop-up, we'll go ahead and blast everybody and let them know what the details are so that they can get signed up. Oh, I love that. You got to tell me more about that because I've seen so many big media companies transition into that space. Um, and I, and I think it's for good reason. It's because people just, you know, they'll look at their text messages more than they see a million notifications. Yeah. So tell me what you're doing and, and how that's working for you. Well, our system is all homegrown. Um, so I did see some folks that they sell those services. Um, I figured I was too small for that, those types of services, but I inquired, you know, I've started to learn that even if I feel too small for a particular market, that I should still at least ask the questions because maybe I'll get uh, some knowledge from them to help understand when I might be in that market or how to, to enter that market, or maybe I don't want to be in the market. For sure. Um, but anyways, I reached out to someone and it seemed a little expensive, you know, and I was, could not justify the cost. So, um, we just use, uh, a website called Twilio and Twilio provides the backend, but you have to have a programmer who can write code, um, to kind of link it up with other services. It's not a all in one package. So I am a programmer by trade. Uh, that's my day job. So I was kind of able to use leverage, you know, some what I do by day to, to assist that. On a scale of one to 10, one being creating a Squarespace website and 10 being the next Facebook, where would you put, you know, coding the Twilio app on? Um or coding the program for the Twilio app on? 
Excuse me. Probably like a six. It's not that bad. It's not that bad. And right now my system is very basic, but I'm looking to kind of over, not overhaul. I like what I got, but it needs some more, it needs some verification measures, um, you know, some error checking and um, like just a couple of more automation tasks need to be added. But to basically have what I have now, you could get there pretty, pretty easily just with Twilio's um, knowledge base and some of the code samples they have there. Okay, so they they do kind of have some examples of what you're trying to build, and you can yes. Okay. Yeah, they provide the service, and it's been really affordable. I mean, I basically dropped twenty dollars on credit, and I don't know how many messages I've blasted, but I've only burned like five dollars or so worth of credit, you know, over the past few months. So it's been much like I mean, miles, miles cheaper than the the, the services that I investigated. Very, very great advice there. I, uh, I love that. Um, not only can you reach everyone, but you can reach them on a budget, especially when you're starting off uh, at the very beginning stages. Or even if you're a small business, right? You're not going to spend yeah. like a thousand dollars. Or I don't know what are, what are these like uh, auto like more established automated texting platforms cost just. For the I, I'm trying to remember. I think the conversation I had was a little while ago. I believe it was either $59 or $99 a month. And it gave you like, I think, 5,000 messages. Um, I think maybe one of the good things with those is I do believe you get like a little vanity number. That's the one thing I don't have is my number is like a regular phone number. So it has, it has the same length as a normal number. And these vanity numbers are the ones that you see that I think are like five or six digit numbers. Mm -hmm. So when you get a text from like, say like two, four, two, 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 or whatever, those that's a vanity number and you have to pay extra money for those. Um, but I believe those are for big volume people. And it's almost like maybe like the SEO of kind of SMS, you know, it's a way to kind of pay your way to the front, I think, and make sure that you're a reputable sender. Um, if, 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 if I understood, you know, what I was reading right about the vanity numbers. Huh. I did not know that's what those things were called. And I guess it makes sense for them to use five digits to stand out. Yeah, so I think it's great. Yeah, definitely. It, it's something you can uh, look into. I'd like to continue to leverage it more. And I'm starting to kind of let people know that, hey, when the notices go out, I'm going to let the people on the pizza alert system are going to be the first to know. Then we'll post next door. Then we'll post Instagram. I, I find Instagram to be probably the worst one for me. But I'm also in this conundrum of like, I'm a Twitch streamer. But I'm also doing local pop-ups and they don't jive exactly with local promotion. Those two, uh, those two aspects. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a tough one right there. What, is there anything else that you found, um, works well with promoting your pop-ups? That's really all I've done. I don't really put any, uh, marketing out on Twitter very rarely. And I don't touch Facebook at all. Um, I know that that's probably not great, but I just prefer just to stay away from the platform. Why just too much? 
it's yeah it's too much uh the twitter's it can be uh, uh twitter could be a pretty bad dumpster fire you know on on any, any given day so i'm not sure i want to go back to facebook um and deal with that and even with twitter it seems like you're just shouting into a echo chamber <laughs> there's <laughs> a lot going on on all of these platforms and it's really tough to stand out which i guess goes back to the fact that people are trying to get into your phone a different way mm-hmm I guess back the old fashioned way, which is through text. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So what are you doing for your pop-ups? Uh, how did you, are you doing them at a, uh, at a specific location and how did you find that location? So I usually just do them here in the neighborhood. Uh, I've done a couple where I've been like out in the town. Um, there's one I did in front of a gelato shop, which was, it was a fun, fun experience, but that was another one of my really bad dough days where I timed my dough bad. And so the first couple hours of the pop-up went great, but it was like close to 90 degrees that day. I didn't have access to refrigeration. So my dough just blew out and, you know, it was an absolute mess, but that at least kind of gave me some of like the hard knocks of like being out there on the streets trying to do your pop-up. So I've kept them more local since then, since then uh, I'll usually do them by, you know, like the clubhouse or right here in the neighborhoods, you know, so we don't go too far. Were you just outside of a gelato spot? Like, did you know the gelato owner? Uh, so uh, not directly. Um, there's a guy in town named Alessio and he runs the Atlanta pizza truck. I live in Atlanta now, by the way. Um, and I met, talked with him through Instagram and I just wanted to check out his pizza. And we got to talking cause we're, you know, both big pizza fans and whatnot. And he said, Hey, you know, I see you're doing pop-ups, but we got some things that are smaller events. Maybe you might want to try it out. Um, and I also got a gelato, uh, appearance. I'm supposed to go to this gelato shop, but you know, I'm not able to make it. So do you want to try and, you know, go over there and try the pop-up? And so I was like, yeah, definitely. And so I was able to meet the owner there and um, talk with him briefly. And uh, the, the one thing that was kind of awkward is they were opening a pizza shop, like right next door. And the banner for the, like the sign for the pizza shop was already on the building, oh. but the building's empty. So there was some massive kind of like confusion going on of like, are you guys the ones opening this? Like what's, what's going on here is, you know? Um, so that was, that wasn't the greatest thing, but uh, yes. So that's how I landed that one. And Alessio has also talked to me about other pop-ups and whatnot. So whenever he gets kind of a little overbooked, he'll, he'll reach out to me and see if I want to do a pop-up or something like that. And sometimes I've taken them on uh, a lot of times I've been too busy to do so or I, I hear what the pop-up is and sometimes they're too, they're too big for me. Wow. That, what, what a feeling <laughs> standing in front of someone else's pizza shop, essentially, and, and making your own pizza. Yeah, it was really awkward. All the, the, literally every single person thought that we were like going to be opening the shop. That was the, and we're like, nope, nope. We're something altogether different. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I'm sure, you know, you learned something from that, uh, timing your dough uh yes any other like valuable lessons or uh even crazy stories that you want to share uh, regarding your pop-ups um 
I think that, I mean, those failures definitely kind of stand out and, you know, you try to learn from them so you don't repeat them. Um, but I, I've met some just cool people through the pop-ups, you know, I, when I was, uh, working with Alessio one day with his little, his little pizza truck, there was uh, a person that was watching an Instagram live that we were doing. So we just did like a short 10 minute Instagram live. And so this one guy was watching that Instagram live. He didn't know who I was, but he was like, oh, there's this other pizziolo in town. That sounds cool. I like Alessio's pizza. Maybe I'll check him out. And so I was doing a pop-up, like, I think, I don't know, a few weeks later. And all of a sudden, you know, I get the, you know, the reservation comes through and he's like, oh, I saw you with Alessio. I can't wait to try the pizza. And I realized, oh, wait, it's that one guy, you know, and uh, he's been he doesn't even live that close. Um, so he kind of made a journey down to come and get the pizza. And he's done it a couple times after that, too. So I was like, wow, OK, that's that's really, really cool. You know, just connecting people that way. It's great to be able to. To connect with others and people are trying your pizza through other recommendations. I'm sure that's a thrill. Definitely. Yes. Um, the word of mouth is interesting. Um, when the pool, if the pool opens back up, you know, I'm hoping that will be good because I think that a couple of years ago, you know, before I started doing pop-ups, you know, occasionally my wife would maybe take some pizza down to the pool just to, so it could be seen. Um, and that would get, you know, people talking, but it, back then I wasn't willing to kind of take the initiative and jump on that so whenever the pools open again uh maybe that will help market in other ways <laughs> what uh what's changed like why do you think you're ready to do it this time um i feel like i've got more experience i'm learning a little bit more about what kind of pizza i like to make um i think that especially this year is this year's kind of progressed. I've realized that, you know, I grew up in Detroit. I love Detroit pizza. I love making Detroit pizza. And I think Detroit pizza is my brand. Um, wood fired pizza is good and I enjoy making it. Uh, do I have my struggles with it? Sure. But I still think, you know, I do all right at it. Um, but when I make a Detroit pizza, there's just, it's just different. Um, I like making them. I like being able to, proliferate Detroit pizza here in Atlanta, even though there are already a few shops that are kind of doing it. Um, that's a good feeling. Yeah, I'm excited for that. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm, look, I'm kind of in the same boat as you. Uh, I am waiting for our clubhouse to be open again. Okay, there you go. I want to start doing pop-ups there because I we, we just moved in a couple months ago, like I said, and we toured it and this the space is huge. You can essentially do whatever you want there and you can serve your own food. No permits needed really. And I think it would be the perfect pop-up space. And they have three ovens in there. Like, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. You got to get on that. Ours is kind of tiny. So, I mean, like, uh, you know, there's not really a lot of amenities, but it, it, at least it's a space, right? <laughs> yeah. I think it all comes down to like using whatever resources are available. If it's a pool yes. area, a local pool area, your you know, your friendly pizza maker that's uh, willing to extend a hand to help you out. I think that's definitely what, you know, we've been getting at over here. 
Definitely. And shout out to Alessio for being very amazing and, uh, you know, helping me out, like obtaining flour, showing me some of the ways of the Neapolitan techniques that like I hadn't quite grasped, you know, just let me make pizzas in his oven. Um, so yeah, he's, he's also been a very, uh, big catalyst in it as well, because otherwise, you know, I would have been spending lots of money to try and get this off the ground already. And, you know, maybe would have decided it wasn't quite worth it. You know, if I was buying five pound bags of flour at the store. <laughs> yeah, I, I won't lie. Like, uh, I just purchased three five pound bags of flour, three different types. Okay. From Central Milling last night because I couldn't go to sleep. I just wanted to try a different brand of flour and I didn't want to commit to the whole 50 pound bag, but I could just feel my hesitation buying the five pound bag, knowing that I could buy the 50 pound bag. Yeah, you should go for it. Take the money you saved, get a Tupperware, like one of those big old rubber maids and dump it in there, you know? <laughs> I was looking at the uh, 22 liter cam, 22 quart, 22 quart Cambros yesterday. And they're about like 20 bucks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I thought I could grab a couple of those and they stack easily. And yep, they do. And, and and they'll keep them fresh for quite some time. Yeah, those work great as well. The, the, you got to double check because I got some Cambros that the tops seal better than others. I got one that's kind of like a harder plastic mm -hmm. and that lid doesn't really have as much of a good seal as the ones that are th a little bit thinner and less translucent plastic. Mm -hmm. um, those ones seem to seal a lot better, the ones that are more opaque, mm -hmm. if, that, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, I have two Cambros in mind. One that's like, that doesn't have like a snap fit lid on. Yeah, yeah. One that does. Okay. Yeah, the, I, I think that's the one I was looking at. But, I, you know, when it comes down to purchasing anything that's pizza related, or just anything really on Amazon, I, I, I try to read all the reviews, compare warranties, all of that stuff. But thank you for the heads up on, you know, the Cambro lids. Yeah, definitely. You know, I wanted to ask you, you had made a pizza that you had posted on Instagram a few days ago, and it's this really thick, fluffy looking pizza. And I wanted to ask you about that pizza. It looks so amazing. Like, what kind of style is that? Or like, is there certain some type of inspiration that you have for that? Or? Yeah, um, definitely inspired by like a Detroit pie. Mm -hmm. um, because I took the are you referring to the cheese pull one from um, December 12th? Yeah. I took a class with Derek Tung and Scott's pizza tours and he essentially promoted his Detroit crust or his, his winning Detroit pizza from Pauly G's Logan square. I used that dough recipe. One of my, uh, podcast guests, Henry fam, mm -hmm. um, he had told me that we were talking about Apollonia's pizza and he was like, yeah, I think they put like a pound of cheese on each pizza. And I was like, what? And so I tried 13 ounces on that one and it just gave it that magical cheese pull that, and then, but then since there was no sauce, it kind of just like the cheese kind of just hardened on top. And, and yeah, I, I let it proof for about, I want to say over like over eight hours overnight, that one. Yeah, that looks really, really good. And I'm guessing parbake as well. Yeah, I was, you know what? <laughs> now that I'm looking at the second picture, I just remembered how amazing that crust looked. Like, I have never made one that uniform before. And I just really took my time kind of pressing it out. 
Mm-hmm. Also, just uh, so the the shell came out as as nice as uh, I could have made it that day, and then just the additional cheese kind of gave it that even layer because even underneath it had a solid cheese crust. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think you're kind of you're definitely. Well, for what I do is basically, uh, I think a large, I'll do 14 ounces, but if it's just a cheese pizza, like a large Detroit cheese, I, I do put a full pound of cheese on that thing. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, that is not surprising to me, but what, what size is your, what size is the pizza? So that's a 10 by 14. Oh, okay. Yeah. This is a, uh, I think this is a 10 inch pan from Lloyd. Okay. Maybe nine actually. But yeah, so yeah, that'd be incredibly cheesy then. Okay. Yeah. I want a crust that looks like that, or I guess that's how Detroit does it. Put a bunch of cheese on it. They really do. It's 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 sometimes it might be a little obscene when, when you see the cheese being put on there. <laughs> it's uh, no, I mean it's delicious for that reason, and it's 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 just for me. It's one of those pies that I can't have you know, in the middle of the day or else I'm going to want to fall asleep. <laughs> I agree. That's the one thing I wish that, you know, they had negative calories. I'd eat them more often. <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel that you ever eat too much pizza? Uh, I mean, maybe sometimes, but that's probably only after like, as, as you said, like when you're like maybe three slices into a Detroit or a Chicago and, you know, you're starting to feel the food coma coming on. You know, and then you're like, oh, I mean, I eat too much pizza, you know, <laughs> but then the next day you're eating more pizza. I, I don't count uh, my slices because to me that never really, that's not really fair because, you know, a slice can be one slice of a 20 inch pie or one eight in, one slice of an eight inch. Totally. Different. Yeah. I try to Very count true. The, the number of grams of flour I eat. And so like, I would say I would. I would eat like 500 grams of flour in one day and I would just feel like shit. <laughs> okay. That's an interesting way to look at it. Yeah. I never thought about it that way. <laughs> um, do you have a go-to aside from Detroit, like a go-to topping? Ooh, that's such a tough question to answer. Um, I don't think there's even one particular topping that I like. I mean, I have a few, combinations that i really enjoy making um you know uh, if i was to run through those it'd be like pepperoni jalapeno i love the combination of the pepperoni with a nice jalapeno the spicier the better um mike's hot honey is is good too um there's something about a sausage and mushroom pizza that I'll always love and put some basil on that. Now, then you're really talking. Um, I got this one called the Spaniard that I'll do occasionally, and that's usually better on a thin crust than a pan pizza. But that one is green onion, uh, roasted red peppers, manchego cheese, and like a chorizo. And I usually prefer a dry chorizo on it, but you can go ahead and throw the wet chorizos on there too. And it's still fantastic. Um, so I'd say that those are all favorites of mine. And um, of course, occasionally I just enjoy a plain cheese pizza. You got to have that in the rotation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hot honey. Yes. yes. Have you tried the extra hot since you're a hot, since you're a spice head? Yes, I have a bottle of the extra hot. I do like it. I think it's pretty much for me. I don't think it's too hot, but I am leery. I don't get a lot of people requesting for 
the hot honey upgrade or anything like that. So I'm leery to use it or put it on the menu just because I don't think it really gets a lot of traction, but I feel like it's maybe one of those things that people read it and they're not willing to take that leap and they just need to taste it. So I don't know. Honey uh, is pretty big here, at least in my circle of friends. Like I think this one restaurant in the Bay area got really big a couple of years ago called, uh, Pachis, Patchies, Patsies, I don't know, P-A-T-X-I. And they offered honey mm. on the table. And we were and it just became the biggest craze. And so now um it's not weird to people. And so I've been thinking about incorporating it uh into my pizzas more often. Um, but I did put it on a cheese pizza the other day. And I did not get the response that I wanted. And so I, I got to find uh, a better balance with it. Uh, I, I guess the, the response was that it wasn't spicy at all and it made it actually taste too sweet. Interesting. Yeah, I thought that the combination, uh, this was a little bit different, but I tried doing a cheese pizza with the ricotta in the hot honey, like uh, Chris from uh, A Slice of New Jersey. That's kind of like a pie that I've seen him do a few times. So I did a version of that last week um, and I, well, I do a homemade lemon ricotta. So I put lemon zest in the ricotta, right? Um, and it gives it a real nice lemony flavor. And I like to up the salt a little bit because I want it to be, I want you to know there's salt in there, you know? Um, now I found that to contrast with the hot honey really, really well. So that might be something to kind of, you know, give a shot lemon salty ricotta and hot honey on there you go pizza. so you got creamy salty a little sweet a little spicy that sounds delicious actually <laughs> uh where do you see your pizza journey going i think for now i'm going to keep plugging away at what i'm doing i don't think that you know we're not trying to get into some type of a mobile business overnight or anything like that uh I'm going to continue doing my pizza streams. I'll be doing my pop-ups here and there and kind of see what 2021 has to offer. I don't think, you know, I'm ready to do anything like a brick and mortar or anything like that, even though this is probably one of the better times for, for uh, commercial real estate. Um, I don't think the invite, you know, the, it, it's a wise time to do anything like that. I would not be ready for that. So I think more of the same and maybe reevaluation in 2022 and kind of see where we're at and, you know, what the climate's like. What do you think you need to do in 2021 to get to where you want to be in 2022? Uh, better marketing. I definitely need to tighten up some systems as we talked about before with like the messaging system there needs to be some more automation in place because right now you know it, just taking my time to talk with the customers like i have no problem talking with the customers i love talking with people but like the redundancies of like you know the thank you for your order these are the instructions like those things could be automated so having a little bit more of that would be excellent to tighten up things and then just also get a little bit better at understanding costings. I'm thinking I'm kind of starting to get there, um, but I'm still not fully there. What do you feel about dough automation or how do you feel about it? 
Um, I mean, I use a mixer, but I still have to babysit the mixer. Um, but if we're talking like a machine that would just spit out dough balls, I don't know that I'd want to go that route. Um, I like being involved in the mixing process, but my hands can't do long kneading and everything like that. I don't know. I must have like maybe mild arthritis in my hands or something like that because, or like a Nintendo thumb, because uh, after working dough for, you know, a few minutes or so, my hands just ache really, really bad. So I try to rely on my mixer and I only hand mix very small batches. Interesting. Now, I mean, I, I kind of where get your, where you're coming from as, as like an engineer, a programmer, right? You get rid of inefficiencies. And, That's right. And so I, I was just thinking like, sometimes I feel that there are so many inefficiencies in just the dough making process itself. Um, so many variables that you can't control or you have to find a way to control. And uh, it just, to me, it seems like there's a lot that can be improved and and so I'm I'm still very uncertain about how technology is going to affect pizza making in the future. I think that's a very good point, and I I would definitely look into things like climate control. That would be very interesting to me, actually. Um, you know, being able to have some type of refrigeration unit, um, or you know, like a, a dough retarder in other refrigeration units to where you have, you know, the space is optimized and you can control that temperature. And obviously it does a good job of dealing with fluctuations in the outside ambient temperature. That would all, all be very important. Um, I think also having like a, like I'll say, a, a machine or some type of a water spigot to where you could just hit the water spigot and it comes out at exactly the temperature you want and it gives you exactly the amount of water you want. You know, like being able to have some type of a machine that does that would be, you know, useful in, in you know, automated processes. So, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I would I would be interested in things like that, but I wouldn't want to have a machine where you, you put flour and water in it and it just spits out dough balls, you know. <laughs> I've seen that and <laughs> look pretty. <laughs> it's interesting. I, yeah, well, I've seen whole pizzas be made that way. And sometimes I just wonder if the reason why they don't taste as good or they don't look as nice is because they just haven't refined the process and if they just haven't used really, you know, decent flour yet. I would think so. I mean, if you're saving money with your automation, why not try and go for some more higher cost ingredients to make a higher quality product. I understand what you're saying. I haven't seen much of them other than the Costco like saucing arm, you know, um, but yeah, that's really interesting just to think that, you know, a fully automated pizza line where you didn't even need a single person. Um, I would think that you could make high quality pizza. I would think there would be a way unless the automation process somehow, you know, would take away from the ability to make a quality product. I see Vito Iacopelli on YouTube and he's doing man versus machine on like stretching Neapolitan pizzas. And essentially it, it levels it out. So it just pushes the air from inside to out. Mm -hmm. And taking his word from it, he says that the crust is just as good. 
And so really? I figure if that part, which to me is probably one of the harder parts to get correct, um, can get done, you know, what else could be done? Right. And so it makes me, it's one of the questions that I've been kind of like, or the topics that have been circling around my head for quite some time now is just, you know, how do we adapt? Um, how do we compete? How do we mm-hmm. move forward? Uh, because at the end of the day, we got to come with every advantage that we can if we ever want to run a business um, so that we can survive. Yes, I, I 100% agree. I think that at the same point, there's also we're going to have multiple um, like demographics and whatnot. Obviously, there's going to be people who are going to want to go for the, your bargain basement pizza. They don't really care as much about quality. It's more about price and convenience for them. And I, I would say that, you know, I don't think that really we don't fit in that category. You know, maybe we're looking to make more of a, um, you know, something that's crafted and, you know, maybe, maybe a little bit more artisanal, if you'll, if you'll excuse the use of that word. Um, but uh, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's a different category of pizza. I see what you're saying there. I, I 100% agree, by the way. Uh, it is, right? Something that's made with your hands. I guess essentially it, it's, it's made with love and passion, right? And sometimes when I just think about it, it's like, what if, what if robots can take that away from us? It's a very interesting question to ponder. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Would it, would a pizza taste any less delicious if it was made only by robots? I I would take that test and not, I don't know. I would see. Yeah, right. I mean, you could have the the Chris Decker robot versus Chris Decker. <laughs> what if robots could create algorithms on what topping combinations would be better than the ones that come out of you know a creative person's mind? Wow. Yeah, that is something to consider. Well, think about folks like uh, who maybe don't have um, siblings, excuse me, not siblings, but children. Like, you know, myself, uh, like uh, I have a stepdaughter, but I don't have any natural children. So say I become a pizza owner, you know, we establish a pizza business. Like what's the legacy of the pizza business? I guess I better start training those robots. Yeah, sorry. I don't know if we went off on a tangent there, but I figured, you know, you being into computers and programming, you may be the person that I can uh, kind of engage with a little bit about that. I just I like that. No, I like it. <laughs> Do you have any words of advice, any last words for people to to just kind of sit on? Uh, I guess I would say uh, don't be afraid to, you know, chase those things. You know, I was afraid for a while to kind of put myself out there and uh, I wish I had done sooner. So if you see something that you, you want to do, give it a shot, maybe, maybe it will fail. And at least if it did, you can potentially learn something from it. Um, so don't let, you know, things get in your head to where you don't take that leap. So go on the adventure, I guess is the way to put it in a nutshell. So, um, who knows what the next year will hold, but I think for for me, I've met a lot of great people in 2020 and the pizza family, um, and I hope to meet even more. And so I look forward to what it brings. There's no better day to start than today. I, I think that you are on the right track. Um, it seems like you have this vision of where you want to go, and, and from what it sounds like, 
you know, you have some benchmarks that you want to meet. And I just appreciate that line of thinking and your words of encouragement to everyone else uh, to kind of follow in that direction. Don't be scared. Just go for it. That's right. Put yourself out there. Very cool. Scott, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. I enjoyed this conversation very much. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Scott, thank you so much for sharing your story with me. I really appreciate all your different approaches to marketing, and I can't wait to try some of them myself. I wish you the best of luck in your pizza journey. To you, the listener. What'd you think? Amazing, right? I hope you learned something new today. And if you appreciate the episode, please make sure to give Scott a follow at cheese underscore pizza zero seven i believe and it's spelled a different way so check out the show notes i'll make sure to link his instagram there as well as his pop-up page go follow both of those also if you enjoy the show make sure to let me know by leaving a rating on apple podcasts Uh, it helps kind of give some feedback And the rating system lets others know if it's worth their time to listen to. Happy New Year, folks. Talk to you next week. Till next time. Peace.